I was really invested in being right. I was mm. a philosophy psychology double major, you know, mm. Mm. and uh, my partner was a, a feminist, you know, and mm. uh, I so value reason and logic. And she valued emotionality and connection. And so I kept trying to impose my version of the truth onto her again and again and again. And it just created so much division in our relationship and created so much, um, so much pain and disconnection. Welcome to Men This Way, the podcast for every man who seeks to live his deepest purpose in life, who's committed to showing up fully and giving his unique gifts to the world. Because if not you, then who? I'm your host and fellow journeyman, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Men This Way. Are you sure you communicate clearly? Seriously, are you sure? Do you even know what your partner is asking for when they're asking you to listen? Do you even know yourself what you want from your partner? In this episode, my guest Joshua Hathaway and I give you useful answers and insights to these questions and more. I first experienced Joshua one evening in Los Angeles a few years ago when he was leading a workshop for men. I remember feeling so awake in my spirit and alive in my body by the end of that evening because Joshua wove in the severely and tragically overlooked need of adult men to be playful together. And so we played a lot that evening. And man, it was so refreshing because I am way too serious way too often. Although I haven't known him long, since that workshop, I've been captivated by Joshua's presence and his ability to hold the attention of men, to inspire men to deeper connection with themselves and from there with others. I wouldn't describe Joshua as confident. I would describe him as the personification of confidence itself. Joshua is also the founder of a company actually called No Bullshit Communication through which he offers private and organizational trainings as well as coaching and consulting. The core of Joshua's work, which I so appreciate given the coaching work I do, particularly with couples, is helping people create real meaningful connection. In this conversation, Joshua and I dive into communication and relationships, as well as the true role of masculine leadership. Hint, shut up and listen, and so much more. Definitely stay tuned for Joshua's five key takeaways at the end of this episode of Men This Way. All right, let's dive. Joshua Hathaway. Brian Reeves. So good, so good to have you on Men This Way. What a pleasure to be here, brother. Always fun to connect with you, my man. Indeed, man. You know, the first time that we met was at a workshop co-hosted by our brother Robert Schwenkler. Mm-hmm. And I so appreciated how you held you, you know, it's tough working with men in a sense. I mean, I'm, I'm a former military. I was a captain in the United States air force. And when I got done being in the military, there was a part of me that was like, I don't fucking want to work with men ever again. Hmm. <laughs> right. Like, I don't want to lead men. I don't want to 
you know, I had just a lot of what I'll call shadow masculine experiences in, in the military. And so, you know, that and daddy stuff, all that just, you know, I, I've, I was very, I felt very disoriented around my own manhood for so many years. And to, to see you, I don't remember how many years ago that was, but to see you hold that space and be such a beautiful and strong guiding presence for, I don't know, we were what, like 30, 40 men in that mm -hmm. workshop? Yeah, just about. And uh, I was just, I was so, uh, I loved how you brought playfulness into it. There were so many good things that, that you brought to that, just those few hours. So I just want to say, mm -hmm. Joshua, since that moment, man, you've captivated my imagination in many ways and just so appreciate you saying yes to this and, and just showing up in my consciousness. Man, yeah, it's been, it's, it's a pleasure, bro. Thank you for saying that. It's a real commitment that I have to embodying whatever it is that I'm here to embody as fully and completely and authentically and vulnerably as I can. And, um, you know, sometimes that captivates people and sometimes that makes people want to never hang out with me again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, speaking of, of embodying, I want to just start with a question because I, you know, I've always had short hair. I've never been able to grow long hair and it's been wavy, but never curly. And you mm -hmm. have this wild mane of curly hair. What, yeah. What's the, what's the best part about having a wild mane of curly hair? Oh man, there's two things that I love. Number one is I just feel like a lion. I mean, I look at myself in the mirror mm. and I'm like, I, I feel like a fucking lion with a mane, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, um, and then, of course, it's it. not bad to have uh, completely random stranger women come up to me and, and sort of compliment me and ask if they can touch my mm. ringlet curls and tell me I look like a lion, too. You know? Wow. <laughs> I love hurt. it. Oh, man. Like a lion. I love that. Mm. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you. So let's go a little deeper now. Let's dive in. And I'd love to hear from you a significant event or some experience early in your life that played a fundamental role in shaping you as a man? Mm. What has shaped me as a man? You know, I'd have to say that one of the big things that helped shape me as a man is the friendships that I developed, especially moving into high school. I ended up at an all boys high school, Jesuit high school, mm. with a locker right next to this guy who I'd never gone to school with, but I'd played soccer with for six years. And Mark Hawkins and I became best friends, sat next to each other in core classes, Hawkins and Hathaway. Mm. And mm. we developed this friendship and we would literally sneak out of the house probably three nights a week, every week, whenever the weather was good enough. And we would just get into plenty of trouble together, but we'd also just have the deepest, most honest mm. conversations with each other. And it was, you know, he and I who, it was he was the first person I came out to as having a gay father. And I never realized mm. that, uh, that I was coming out until relatively recently, you know, that it was wow. a coming out for me too. I was deeply identified yeah. with, my, with my father and my family, and it was a secret that I carried mm. for many years. My father raised me. He was... I won the dad lottery, I like to say, mm. and spent most of my life with my father. My parents were divorced, and, and he was the first person I came out to. So it was, it was having some early pivotal experiences and having deep, meaningful, and vulnerable relationships with men that really set me on a course to becoming the man that I am and standing for the things that I do as a man. 
Wow. You know, I, I really appreciate that answer. My longtime best friend, his name's Tate. And we met when we were 10 years old and I hated him at first, but I hated him because he was, he was in a way, everything that I was, I, I had disidentified with. He was strong where I felt very weak. He was, you know, he was, he bullied me. That's why I hated him, mm-hmm. but he just needed a friend. He needed, he needed the softness that I brought and I mm. needed the ferociousness that he brought. And the two of us, you know, we're still, he's, he's actually a huge reason why I even started this podcast. Mm. And we gifted each other so much through the years. So yeah, thank you for acknowledging that. It's one of the core things that I, as I work with men, one of the core things that I'm, I'm stressed is the importance of a brotherhood. Because mm-hmm. I know I've been very lonely as an, as an adult man. Mm-hmm. And, and and coming back into really appreciating the bonds of brotherhood and and, and knowing that they need to be nurtured yeah. um, is so essential to my my intimate relationship. Yes. Oh my God, I love the way you draw that line, brother. I think very few men who I just ran into on the street at least really appreciate how essential it is to have deeply connected, intimate male friendships and bonds when mm-hmm. it comes to cultivating a really healthy relationship with a woman or with a male partner, if that's your yeah. orientation, because we so often overburden our intimate partners with our vulnerabilities and with our fears and with all the things that we need to process. And that's a dangerous game because, you know, you can't be a love somebody's lover, their mother and their counselor all at the same time for very long. And it's an excellent recipe to just destroy your enjoyment of sex in a relationship yeah. and your polarity, right? <laughs> and enjoyment of being in each other's presence. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That requires a relaxation mm-hmm. to enjoy each other's presence. And yeah, we can, I know it's, it, and it's, I think that's one thing, and maybe you can speak to this, because I think that's one thing that, that men in particular, we're really, we tend to be really confused about in that our partners say, I hear this a lot. I work with a lot of men, especially in the relational context. And this is one of the big confusions and complaints men have is she says, you know, women say they want our vulnerability, but then when I give it to them, they, it's such a turnoff. Yeah, there are a whole lot of dimensionalities to that. I definitely hear that too from men. And, and I have never personally had that experience, which I find interesting, but maybe it's just that, I mean, literally for the last 12 years, I've been in circle with men. And mm-hmm. I've been, for the last 15 years, like deeply studying communication and, and the art of sort of owning my shit. Mm-hmm. Because I think that it's almost impossible for a woman to be turned off by a man who's expressing his emotions while owning his shit. Right. That's the distinction. That's the distinction. If you're making your emotions about her, if you're making your emotions about John at work, if you're making it about your mom, if you're making it about somebody else and you're really fucking whining, yeah, then nobody that's not turning anybody <laughs> on and it's not bringing right. you two any closer to each other. But when yeah. you say like, wow, fuck, man, when you can embody your grief, your sadness, your fear, your your rage and talk about your own needs and your own actions and your own choices and talk about, you know, your own pain, that that is so intimate and that's so sexy, yeah. man. I mean, I literally like yeah. talk to women all the time who are like, there is nothing sexier than a man who's fully embodying his emotional energy and in ownership of his experience, right? Yeah. Not making me responsible for it, neither the, the, yeah. the culprit or at fault for it, nor 
responsible for fixing it or making him feel better in the moment, yeah. right? But just bringing his experience to me. I, you know, one of the things that, that I keep seeing emerging already in these conversations with this podcast, you know, the, the tagline for this podcast is life insights from wise men. And, you know, I've been exploring paradox for many years now, particularly in the context of relationship work. Mm -hmm. And paradox continues to emerge even in these conversations without me saying anything about it. Like what you're describing right there, the ability to bring all of what you're carrying and holding emotionally, everything, maybe even the thoughts, everything, and simultaneously, though, owning it, which means not making it about the other person dumping it on them as though they need to do something different in order to make that all go away. Right. Your company, I think that's the company name, No Bullshit Communication. Yeah. No Bullshit Communication, man. That's what I teach. That's what I work with my many of my coaching clients on. That's what I do in organizations is help people essentially do this, which is yeah. take radical ownership of their experience, ask for exactly what they want and know how to listen in a way that really helps people feel heard and understood. Yeah. And you have those things working for you, you know, you can make pretty much any relationship work or at least walk away from it clean. Yeah. One of my mentors many, many years ago opened that distinction up for me, framing his name is Bob Duggan. He's uh, deceased, sadly, but one of the wisest men I've ever known. Mm. He opened up that distinction for me, the difference between story and phenomenon. Mm hmm. Right. The story I'm telling versus the phenomenon. I, in your talk that you gave at Zappos, you used the the example of your hair. Right. <laughs> you know, your hair. What's I, can, I don't remember the exact, you know, the story phenomenon. I think one. Uh, how did you language it? Uh, maybe like Joshua looks like a girly man. That, well, Joshua, right. Girly man. Is that is that a story? Is that a judgment or a phenomenon? I don't think you use those words exactly, but that was the distinction you were drawing. Right. It's a, it's a fact. I use, I like to talk about facts versus stories, right? Projection bullshit versus okay. what actually happened or ob observables. Yeah. So is, is Joshua, Joshua is a girly man or Joshua has long hair? Like which of those is a fact? Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's fascinating though, how a lot of people, we collapse the two. <sighs> Habitually, continually. It's what we do. Yeah, um, But I want to ask you, in particularly in the context of intimate relationship, because again, this is a, a challenge that I think us men particularly, because even when we can see that, I think a lot of men, we fall on the sword of the truth, mm -hmm. standing for the truth. Mm -hmm. And we have this person, and I'll just frame it heterosexually just for the sake of ease, but we, we, we have a, say we have a, a woman in front of us who doesn't give a damn about the truth. Mm -hmm. She's wanting to connect but yet we get lost in this battle over who has the correct facts. And what, yep. what would you, what, what, what wisdom, what insight would you offer into the man who's, who is just so sure he knows what the truth is? He's not doing any bullshit. There's no bullshit. This is the reality. Yeah. There are several layers here that I want to unpack because I think that this is a beautiful Great. question. And then so much of the pain in relationships between men and women revolves around this reality right here. Yeah which is that women want to be heard and men want to be right. Mm. And men confuse women wanting to be heard for women wanting to be right. Mm. Mm. And so... I love that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think that the, the, the need to sort of... The need to adjust a woman's perspective comes from a good place in a man, right? This is, this is the, uh, the, the, the subtext yeah. of a man who wants to correct a woman about what she's thinking and tell her what's right. true, right? Is, oh... 
you are having an untrue thought and, and that untrue thought is leading you to suffer and be in pain right now. And it's leading you to sort of um, to our relationship to be in sort of flux. So if I fix that untrue thought by telling you how you're wrong and then telling you what's true, then you won't be in pain anymore and our relationship will be okay. Right. right. Yep. <laughs> like yep. it's a, yep. like it's a broken piece of code that you can just sort of yep. erase and fix. And it's yep. not like that brother. And the moment you make your woman wrong, she is going to move away from you, not toward you. The pain is going to be increased, not decreased. Yeah. Right. There's a story I like to tell about when I was, it was late at night and I was about to come to bed and I was just going to, you know, I was going to brush my teeth. And then I got, I looked at this thread on Facebook. My partner was in bed. She was waiting for me. I look at this thread on Facebook. It's about race. I end up in this like conversation on Facebook and writing this, what became a beautiful post that I posted and got many, many shares on. But I was away for like 45 minutes or an hour and I come back and she is so upset, right? She's upset and she's telling herself a story about what I was doing out there. Like maybe I was texting with some other woman. Mm. That was the the core subtext, right? And mm. I had the impulse to go, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. I wasn't texting with another woman, right? That was my right. impulse, right? Yeah. But I, I curbed the impulse. And instead <laughs> yeah. of disagreeing with her, I listened. Yeah. And I reflected yeah. back to her, oh, baby, it sounds like you're really disappointed. It sounds like you were really wanting connection with me. It sounds like there's a part of you that feels scared and is wanting to trust in my, in my loyalty and my attention on you, you know, and just validated every experience she was having without ever agreeing with her story, right? Yeah. And that's the power and magic when we can do this in our relationships. Men need to understand how to validate a woman's experience, her feelings and needs without agreeing with her conclusions, after I was able to do that and just unpack all these layers with her emotionally, and she just like softened so much, then I was like, can I tell you about my experience? And then mm. I told her about what I was doing and that I'd written this beautiful thread and that I'd shared it. And that, you know, and then she was like, in, she was embarrassed, but she was also inspired and deeply appreciative, yeah. right? Yeah. And so yeah. we got to value connection over correction in our relationships. Yeah. Yeah, I love that language. I learned that also. I know you're a, a student of the nonviolent communication. Absolutely, yeah. And I incorporate that into my work in couples communication, how to create connection. Because I know, again, as a man, very loyal to logic and perspective and philosophy and truth. Hell, I wrote a book called Tell the Truth and Let the Peace Fall Where It May. Mm-hmm. And so I have so much loyalty to truth, whatever the mm. fuck that means. <laughs> yeah. And yet I is particularly, again, in the context of intimate relationship, I will die alone if I fall on that sword. Right. As much as my inclined, my tendency would have me yeah. go right there to it. Yeah. So I, I love you languaging that connection before correction. Yeah. And if I can just come back, kind of circle back around to that initial point, right? The yeah. difference between what most of us are calling truth is some unfortunate like blend of uh, like one or two observable facts and the stories that we tell about them, about mm. other people's motivations, about what that's yeah. going to mean in the future, about why they did that, about 
you know, it's mostly we're telling ourselves stories about why somebody did something or how much they actually care about us or these things that we can't actually know until we ask them. Right. Yeah. And so I think there is incredible value in learning how to strip away all of our stories and come back to the observable facts. Like what did a camera see? What did the microphone hear? You know, the very right. simple factual matter, because all facts are neutral. It's only the story we weave around it that then creates an emotional response to it. Like facts are literally neutral in every case, right? So I'm going to guess that you learned a lot of this the hard way oh, yeah. through contrast, right? Mm -hmm. Can you share with the men listening? So in a lot of the men listening, like this sounds great and it's like, yeah, okay, it, it makes sense. But there's a difference between, you know, knowing it in the head and, and living it through the body. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what did you go through that really drove this wisdom into your body? I mean, where did you fail or where mm -hmm. did you, where did you screw up? Where did you? Yeah. Whew. I mean, I certainly made a lot of mistakes in my relationship with my son's mom. My son is 17 years old, just turned 17 this October, Sky. And um, his mother and I were together for most of 13 years. We didn't plan on having a child and didn't didn't have much of a sort of a romantic relationship underneath us when we did get pregnant. How old was he when you separated? He was, well, we separated for two and a half years when he was two and a half years old. And uh, okay. I was celibate for that two and a half years and we got back together. And then when we divorced after being together for another seven years, uh, he was 13 years old. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, what I want to say is that I was really invested in being right. I was a philosophy major and a psych I was mm. philosophy, psychology double major, you know. Mm. And uh, my partner was a, a feminist, you know, and mm. uh, I so value reason and logic. And she valued emotionality and connection. And so I kept trying to impose my version of the truth onto her again and again and again. And it just created so much division in our relationship and created so much, um, so much pain and disconnection. Um, and it, it wasn't until I started really deepening into my capacity to not, uh, to, to not demand that somebody else see the world the way I see it, but mm -hmm. to understand the sort of value of, of um, our different perspectives on things and, yes. to, and to really appreciate where we can connect and where we can sort of be close to each other and appreciate and have crossover, right? Because I think a lot of people think that language is, is just, uh, we're living in the same world and language is just our way of describing that world to each other, right? And I experience things very differently. In my world, we are literally, every one of us is a different world. Mm -hmm. We're a whole different narrative world. None of us are telling the exact same story about what's going on here. Even when we're having the exact same experience side by side, we're not having the exact same experience, right? Yep. And so language is not a descriptor of a world. Language is a bridge between worlds. It's literally like, can our yeah. worlds connect? Can we live mm. in some proximity of the same reality? Which is harder and harder to do when we're emotionally not connected with somebody. And it's harder and harder to enjoy giving to somebody we're not emotionally connected to and don't feel cared for by. It's harder and harder to even listen to somebody or agree with them. It's much easier to disagree on no basis whatsoever with somebody who we have this uh, sense of pain with, like a barb around mm -hmm. this emotional mm -hmm. disconnection with. So, 
repairing that connection is so important. And that really comes down what I learned in the journey I've been on. And one of my main spiritual practices over the last 15 years has been how to listen. Mm-hmm. It's not how to speak, but how to listen, how to stop waiting for my turn to speak, how to really take in the experience of this other person and neither collapse and let their experience take mine over, nor sort of resist and push away and have to make their experience wrong in order for me to feel okay with mine if it's different, right? But to be in that middle ground of just, wow, yeah, tell me more about your world. Tell me more about your experience. I want to understand you. What's it like from your perspective? And then that being the foundation for connection because we have a whole lot of complex needs, human beings, right? Mm-hmm. But one need that you can pretty much guarantee that somebody's trying to get met when they're telling you something is a need to be heard and understood. Mm-hmm. You know, what I'm present to as you're sharing this is that working with a lot of men, again, in the context of intimate relationships, mm-hmm. one of the hardest things, and this has been true for me as well, personally, one of the hardest things for men to do is if I don't feel like I've been heard, how the hell am I going to hear someone else? They may not language it that way, but you know, totally. the complaint arises. I feel totally dismissed and, and not acknowledged. My facts, what I see are not being honored and acknowledged. I'm supposed to go over there. And you, you said it earlier really well. I um, mean, I'd love for you to even repeat that because, because we get caught up with the confusing validating with agreeing with. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, man. That's it. Yeah. You can absolutely learn how to validate somebody's experience without agreeing with their conclusions. Right. And, and that's a huge practice. And that's essentially the practice of listening because listening is, is just a matter of what you're listening for. Are you listening for the incriminating evidence? Are you listening for the logical gaps that make them wrong? Are you listening for what you should feel ashamed about? Are you then turning and focusing on your own experience and your own frustration, your own shame, your own disappointment, your own anger and grief, instead of continuing to listen to the person who's sharing their experience with you? And so what I want to say is that none of us were trained in this. Yeah. None of us were trained in how to do this. That if you want to do this well, you have to fucking train in it. You have to get a practice and you have to do that practice. And one of my practices in been. fact, I, 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 sorry, I just want to emphasize that not only were we not trained in doing this, we were actually what was modeled for us was usually the opposite. Exact opposite. Yep, the exact opposite. And so to retrain our brains, to retrain the way that we communicate and respond to people it requires energy and attention and focus. And you've been practicing a certain thing your whole life. It's not going to change overnight when you listen to a podcast and hear that you can do something different. You know, it's going to change when you commit to a practice. My practice was once a week, I'd sit down for an hour with my empathy buddy and he and I would spend 30 minutes each just listening to each other, talk about Mm. our lives and listening and then guessing at like, are you feeling this way? Is this a need? Is this what you're needing? And it seems like a simple, stupid practice, but I promise you, it's one of the most profound things you will ever do. Because you can sit there and fool yourself on your pillow all day long in your meditation, but you're not going to fool your partner. I'm sorry. No. She is not going to be fooled by your whatever sort of stance or thing that you're doing. She's really going to truly respond to being heard, being listened to. And if she looks like she's being fooled, she's just lying to you. Mm-hmm. 
or to herself, which we all do. Or to herself first and then right. to you. Yeah. And so, yeah. so it's a very powerful practice to be able to come back to that and to be able to listen. Right. And, and it's a practice that we have to cultivate with intentionality, just like, you know, you are not going to get that six pack unless you're going to the gym or unless you are yeah. committing to that 20 minutes of, of that core workout a day. Um, yeah. And it doesn't matter how bad you want it. doesn't matter how clearly you think about it. Unless you're actually putting in the time under tension, those muscles aren't going to grow, you know? Yeah. My friend Tate, he put it to me beautifully once. He said, you know, Brian, it occurred to me that I want to speak Spanish. I just don't want to learn to speak Spanish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, well, well to... that's why you don't speak Spanish. Yeah. And, and then, of course, there's the whole fact that everybody wants to be able to play beautiful music. Yeah. Nobody wants to do their scales, right? And the fact is yeah. that on the journey to playing beautiful music, you have to play a lot of shitty music. like nobody wants to suck at something yeah you know and it's not just the work right like adults are not interested in doing things they don't feel competent in because we've we've sort of you know narrowed down these things that we feel good about and that feed our egos right and being a beginner at something is not one of those things yeah and i think like i said for relationship you know i often tell people my look i have a master's in in human relations but my best qualification for, for coaching couples is that I sucked at relationship for 20 years. Yeah. And then when I turned 36, I decided, you know what? I can't be that I am destined to suck at relationships for the rest of my life. I just refuse to accept that <laughs> as my fate. Mm. And so I started learning. I started actually asking the questions. What am I missing that someone should have fucking taught me? about this stuff. And, and, you know, a lot of friends, that's life showed up and I'm 44 now. It's been eight years since I really intentionally started learning how to do relationship well. And I'm with an extraordinary woman and I'm still fucking learning. Mm -hmm. She still is teaching me. So I just want to emphasize that for the men listening, you know, Joshua, thank you for, for throwing out that word practice. It is so important to practice the same way that you're not going to learn Spanish if you don't do the practices to learn Spanish or guitar if you don't play the scales. You're not going to do relationship well. And I don't just mean with with a woman or your, your spouse, your man, but I mean with your child mm-hmm. even. I think a lot of men often, I think that's changing a lot. I think yeah. with this generation, there's a, there's a seismic shift happening in how, how men are showing up for their children. But I'd love to hear from you, Joshua, as a father. Well, I, I guess I'll start with the question. You know, what changed for you when you had a son? Mm. As a man, what began to shift for you? And even if it didn't happen at the day of the birth, but like having a son, being a father, yeah. how did that begin to shift your experience as a man? Yeah, well, it changed my whole life. I mean, that's one of the most important rites of passage I've been through. And as we were talking before the interview... It's the best thing I've ever done. It's it's the mm-hmm. most incredible thing I've ever done to raise a 17-year-old boy who I not only love like a father loves, but who I like and respect and admire, right? And what really changed was that I stopped living for myself, mm-hmm. just hands down. I couldn't be my selfish self anymore. And as unselfish as I thought I could be at, you know, 24 years old when my son was born, all of a sudden I realized just how selfish I was. And it's been a continual realization throughout my life. It's not like it was one and done when my son was born, but 
to really understand that I now was responsible for another being in the world. And that my responsibility to him was also responsibility to his mother and to his half-sister, you know. And so I had a family to be responsible for, to take care of. That was huge. Mm -hmm. And to recognize that my responsibility for them was not just financial. It wasn't just to provide a roof over their heads. My responsibility was to be a leader and a model and an example for my family. Mm -hmm. My responsibility was to care for my family and, and help my son, my commitment was to help my son to know that he was loved and to, as best as I could, to raise him in the absence of shame. Yeah. What are you trying to teach your son intentionally? Uh, you know, nothing. The funny thing is, like, I've unschooled my son. I unschooled my mm. son. We unschooled my son for seven years. We put him in a Waldorf school for kindergarten and first grade where mm. he got never had to be taught uh, to write or do math while his like his dream body was still developing and growing mm. we didn't shove sort of symbolic reasoning into his soft brain too early <laughs> we let him pick it up when he was ready and then uh, we unschooled him whatever he was interested in because you know i realized long ago that we have this mythology underneath a lot of the way we work with children which is original sin we have to train this being to be a good being when in fact it is our training, I believe, that takes an innocent being. It takes a, a being who already knows itself in a very fundamental way and has integrity with itself. And in that integrity does no harm and is, is fully caring and fully present and is creative and all these mm. things. We, we, we dismantle that with our training most, most often. And, uh, and we, we divide people against themselves um, by training them in this way and by teaching them how to be a person when that just happens. Right. And yeah. so, so my work has always been to step back to embody my values with my son, um, because uh, it's really important, this distinction that my job is not to make my son behave in a certain way. It's not my job. My job is to, to embody my values to my son. And I always said that I would much rather that Sky be a little asshole when he's eight years old than when he's 18 years old. And to let him have his own experience, let him own come, come up with his own conclusions. And so we unschooled him, we supported him and being out in nature and, and studying drama and all of his arts as a, as a maker and artist and writer and, and, and film producer. And then he decided to go back to school and go into a sort of normal high school where he's carrying a 4.6 GPA and mm. vying for valedictorian because he wants to. And, you know, there's no pressure whatsoever. And he is entirely and wholly invested because that's what he mm. wants. Mm. And so the only things I've wanted to embody for my son and the way that I wanted to treat him was with respect as a human being. Mm. And I wanted him to never be motivated to do something out of shame or fear. Mm. And I, I failed that many times as a father coming from my own paradigm. Yeah. But that was always my intention to come back again and again to to supporting him and doing things because he wanted to, not because he was afraid of what would happen if he didn't. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. Beautiful. And that, I just want to say, because it circles back for me to yeah. being a leader, because whether you have a child or not, if you're holding the masculine pole in your relationship, you're holding a leadership role in your relationship. So why is it that you have to be the one to put down your need to be heard first? Because you're the fucking leader. Because that's what a leader does. Mm. Because the, a leader does what needs to happen. And when everybody's waiting for somebody mm. to humble themselves and to soften up and to listen first, 
then everybody's waiting for a leader to step forward. Wow. Who's going to be the leader who's going to step forward and listen first? And I like I like to say, there's no better way for you to lubricate somebody's ears than to listen to them first. And you know, as you're, as you're speaking that, what I'm realizing too is there's, there's far more courage in that because it, it requires your willingness to be with the unknown. So much. That, that's the true unknown. Be willing to put down the truth spear and just be, yeah. be with what is, even though you don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is that curiosity, the listening, that takes true courage. You know, anyone can yeah. just stand there and say, no, I'm right. I mean, we all, yeah. we're all practiced at that. Yep. So I really, I love how you just frame that in, in the context of that is true leadership. Yeah. That's epic. Have you ever been terrified to do something big and yet you did it anyway? Yeah. So many things, man. Or is that just a way of life for you? It's kind of a way of life. I feel very fortunate to have somehow developed what, I, uh, what I've heard called a counterphobic personality, where if I'm afraid of something, I have to go do it mm. just, just on principle. Mm-hmm. It has gotten me into trouble many times, and Sounds I'm still like learning how to, <laughs> how to master that, uh, that aspect of my personality. It's also this, a sort of a fundamental element of being a fool or having trickster medicine uh-huh. um, in this world, right? You know, some of the big things that, that have been worthwhile— yeah. You know, I'm in the middle of that right now with this project with the Brotherhood community. It's mm-hmm. one of the things mm-hmm. is, um, you know, my whole coaching practice really of just committing myself to not ever working for money again for the rest of my life. Mm. Like, I'm never trading my hours for cash mm. again in my life. I do what I love to do. The money is an afterthought. It's like when you give your wife money to go do some grocery shopping in the morning. It's like the money is just a natural part of the exchange. It's not goods and services mm. for me. Um, that's how I see my life. I do what I love to do, and I trust that the that the infrastructure to make that happen and to make that grow and to mm. allow my impact to expand is going to show up the more I fall in love with what I do and the better I become at mm. it. And so that being said, you know, it's been a big, scary project to to lean in and to continue to support my son and his yeah. mom and my life doing what I love to do and, you know, borrowing money and sweating and investing all this time and energy into websites and curriculums and, yeah. you know, all of it, you know, and it's just been the most satisfying journey of my life. And, and the horizon just keeps moving yeah. as I move, you know, it keeps getting bigger. So, How do you decide what to say yes to versus no to? I mean, you said, you know, I, I do what I love, but, I think mm-hmm. even that can be a really confusing notion for a lot of, again, I mean, what you're describing is going to be very confronting to a lot of men listening who very much identify with that provider. Well, I have to provide. I have to make certain decisions. If I don't do these things, I don't want to do what I'm doing, but I have to do it or else this will happen and that'll happen. And, and, but even beyond that, you know, what the heck does that even mean? I do what I love to do. So how, how do you decide yeah. what is a yes for you versus what is a no? Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. And every man is at a different place in his relationship with his own purpose and, and, and sort of sense of value, right? Mm. For me, there's a combination of things. When I get butterflies in my stomach, imagining a certain outcome or reality, right? And when those butterflies are both like excitement and fear. 
And when I imagine myself and who I have to become to get there, when those all those factors align as a butterflies in my belly excitement, mm. then then I'm I'm on it. I'm on it. Yeah. Right. And all kinds of things do that for me. You know, <laughs> like one of the hardest things I have to learn in this life is saying no. You know, I'm challenged to say no. And I just want to say to any man out there who's not passionate about the life he's living is, you know, you may have to work your way towards ecstasy. And one step towards ecstasy from where you are as somebody who's depressed and hopeless about having the life that you want might be rage. That might be a frustration, right? I would much rather you be frustrated, brother, than you be depressed, because frustrated mm. is a step in the right energetic mm. direction, mm. right? Mm -hmm. You start getting frustrated, then you start feeling some energy again, right? Mm -hmm. And then that frustration might turn into anger and that anger might turn into passion. What I like to say is anger is what we experience at the crossroads between what I'm passionate about and what I feel powerless about. Yeah, Anger is, the, is at the crossroads of passion and powerlessness. If you didn't care and you didn't have power, it wouldn't matter. Yeah, If you care, but you have power, you're not going to be angry. You're just going to handle it. Right. So you got to ask yourself when you're angry, which one of those roads is not happening? Am I focusing on where I'm powerless and what is my power and what can I do? What choices can I make in this moment to channel that energy that wants to move through me into a positive, productive activity? Right. What am I power? Yeah. And what am I passionate about here? What am, what's really important to me? Mm. Here? I like the excitement and the terror at the same time. Yeah, And what I'm aware of, as you call that out, is that really requires a, a, an attunement to what's happening in your own experience, your own body. It requires a self-awareness yeah. to, to get beneath the stories because a lot of those stories, right, I have to go to work. I can't even – I don't even know. I've, I had this experience. You know, I, I saw this a lot um, right, right when I started coaching. I would work with people who they'd – they for decades, you know, had built up empires, houses, multiple houses, lots of wealth and money, and and they didn't feel connected to any of it anymore. And I remember, well, you know, that question, well, what do you want to do? You know, where do you want to go from here? Well, most people having so much momentum in the direction of disconnect with themselves, all they ever wanted to do was just go get a farmhouse out in the country and be quiet. Mm-hmm they couldn't even answer the question of what do I want yeah. because of that chronic disconnect with themselves. So it, it takes practice. It takes commitment. It takes, and when I say I, commitment to practice, really. Yeah. And, you know, Joshua, do you have mentors? I mean, who have been your teachers to also guide and steward your journey? Yeah. Before I answer that, I think you hit on something so critical here with the what yeah. do I want question, because Men are, we have this weird relationship with what we want. We are, on the one hand, not supposed to want anything. We're supposed to serve. We're supposed to be in service. We have this whole idea of unselfish service, right? Mm. And so the what I want thing, it's literally a limb that can go numb on mm. men. And it's been numb for so long, yeah. you don't even know it's there anymore. Yeah. And it's much more comfortable to keep that limb numb than to actually wait through the process of it waking up and the mm. pins and needles of actually mm -hmm. what you really want in your life after you know surrendering again and again and compromising again and again on what you want right and i like to say that actually saying what you want is one of the most courageous things in the world yeah and many men are just like ah oh, 
whatever, whatever you want, honey. Like we are so trained to let go of what we want because it's safer because it's not scary. Right. It's much scarier to say, I fucking want this. I like to ask men like what's worth spending the rest of your life doing, even if you failed at it. Right. Like what would that Mm -hmm. look like? Mm -hmm. Cause we have to ask ourselves like, what world do you want to live in? Like what world do I want to live in? And then who am I waiting for to make that world? And who ultimately is going to create that world? It's going to be me, right? But it does take a lot of courage to even come honestly to the question of what do I want? Because we've so often and for so long just let go of that. And then we have to express it in shadow. We have to get what we want by cheating. We have to get what we yeah. want by secretly getting on our getting on our computer in the middle of the night and jerking off to porn. We have to get what we want by getting drunk before we can give ourselves permission to, 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 to have a desire, right? Right. There are yeah. so many yeah. shadow ways yeah. that are, that, yeah. that we then have to learn how to access our desire. Yeah. Beautiful, man. Joshua, I want to finish with this question. I know you and I could talk for hours, man. There's so <laughs> yes, much depth and richness and, 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 you know, some, someday we're just going to have to sit around a fire and, and do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I look forward to and, it. Man. And, uh, for now I want to finish with this question and then we're going to go into my five key takeaways lightning round, which I still, I hate that name. I'm going to have to change it. If you have any ideas, I, you know, this is going to evolve, but right now that's what I got. Yeah. But what do you think is the biggest challenge facing men today? And what wisdom can you offer in the face of it? Yeah, the biggest challenge facing men today. Mm. I think the biggest challenge facing men today, and yet the biggest opportunity is the Me Too movement, is the emergence of the feminine, is women finally speaking publicly about how unsafe they've felt their whole lives. The biggest challenge to men today is to hear that and stay with the experience of the women instead of get wrapped up in our own shame or our own defensiveness, which is just an attempt to not feel that shame, right? The opportunity, the danger here, the, the challenge is that we are, we're being invited, we're being asked to listen in a big way. And we're being asked to really start to look at our own prejudices, our own misogyny, and dismantle that. And really, man, oh, fuck, it hurts. It hurts. It aches. You're not going to go in there and look at that stuff without feeling some shame, without being disillusioned, without questioning your own value and worth. Like, all that stuff is going to happen. It's not because it's true. It's just because it's part of the process, Mm. right? But the opportunity we have in this challenge is literally have relationships like I don't think I could describe in words to men that would make sense to them the kind of relationships that I have with women now. Mm. I literally never thought it was possible to be relating to women the way I am with so much trust, so much intimacy, so much delicious touch, so much permission for sensuality and sexual energy that has fully conscious choice about how it's expressed and where it goes. So the most amazing lovemaking and sex of my life, all of these things, I have these incredibly intimate, relaxed relationships with women because I have really continued to face and dismantle my own shame and my own fear and my own misogyny Mm. and my own prejudice. And I understand their worlds better than I ever have. And they feel that, they sense that and they feel safe. And all of a sudden they open up and they soften with me and they, they have experiences that transform both of us. So. That's the opportunity. 
That's beautiful. And how is your your partner with those, knowing that you have a lot of relationships? This is something I know an area men struggle with too, relationships with women, yeah. even when there's no agenda yeah. struggling. How, how does your partner, how do you hold that with your partner? Well, it's kind of issue number one. My partner and I have been open for most of our relationship. We're mm-hmm. in a committed, open relationship. Mm-hmm. And that means for three years that we've had a lot of conversations about jealousy. Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of conversations about what feelings mean, right? Mm. We have a lot of conversations about about the difference between uh, sort of commitment and energy, mm. right? Mm. And we've both had to experience a ton of jealousy yep. and come back to our radical trust of this other person and their inner compass that guides their choices mm. and a radical commitment to support the authenticity of this other person. And... The more I think that we're afraid of our being turned on, the more that we're afraid of having emotional energy with somebody, the more we repress it. The more we repress it, the more it has to be expressed in the shadows. The more it's expressed in the shadows, the more damaging it is to our relationships. Mm. And so I don't think you have to be open to have really open dialogue with your partner about um, about sexual energy and about just... Just because you're committed to somebody doesn't mean you're not going to be turned on by somebody else or have affection for somebody else. It's a matter of how consciously can you welcome it and consciously can you choose your strategies around it. Beautiful. Excellent, man. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know it's going to touch a lot of men in, in, in all kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. All right, man. This is the the five key takeaways. And I finished with these five questions because I want men to be able to leave with practical, actionable resources, insights, tools, things that they can begin to work with immediately after listening to our conversation. We've just covered some really rich, deep ground. And I get to listen to these over and over, especially because right now I'm editing them. And wow, you know, I get to really, you know, I would encourage any man listening, listen to this again because you're going to hear it differently the second time you're going to it's just like it's like an accordion the more you listen to even these these words I mean Joshua you and I we're, we're similar in the in that we're we're always growing we're always leaning into whatever is uncomfortable and 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 it's like it it's in some ways it's the same shit over and over but we're finding deeper and deeper layers which also means deeper and deeper experiences of freedom in our lives mm-hmm. And in our ways mm-hmm. of expressing. And so I encourage any man listening, give yourself to that experience of there's so much here. Mm. There's so much here. And, and I'll ask you at the end where people can learn more about you and find out more about your work. So well, we'll dive into these five questions right now. Let's do it. Number one, the key insight. What's the one key insight that you would offer listeners that you believe can make a meaningful impact on their lives because it has in yours? Shut the fuck up and listen, brother. <laughs> Shut up and listen, yeah. man. And if you're doing really good, you'll actually reflect back for, for this person what you think mm. they just said. So what I'm hearing is this. That one thing, if you do that, you know, one out of 10 times for the rest of your life, your life is going to be 45%. Your relationships are going to be 45% better. Right. One out of 10 times. Right. Not perfection. Just if you catch yourself on the on the 10th time going, oh, my God, I've been talking yeah. too goddamn much. OK, let me shut up and just I'm sorry. I'm, I'm here. I'm listening. Yes. Wow. Beautiful. Profound. Number two, key mentor. 
Name another man that you've been inspired by, living or dead, that you would recommend the men listening to learn more about. Yeah, uh, so many. I've, I was really profoundly impacted by the work of David Schnarch, who's a, a psychotherapist and he writes about relationship and he has a book called Passionate Marriage. Okay, I know that book, yeah. And Passionate Marriage is an amazing testament to differentiation. Mm. to two people in a relationship being two different people mm. and looking at the ways that we end up getting fused in our relationships and we end up playing codependent games of taking care of each other instead of being willing to make somebody else uncomfortable to say exactly what we want in our relationship, right? So yep. he's, he's a powerful one. Beautiful, thank David you. David Schnarch. Thank you. Yeah. Number three, key resource. And maybe you just said it, but uh, maybe there's another one. Your, your most impactful, inspiring book, movie, or podcast of the last year? The last year? Um, you know, I don't think you can come back to it often enough. I'm just going to say um, uh, Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg. Just open the book and, and just read and start practicing right away. Because these are what we call in martial arts master practices. You start doing this practice on day one and 40 years later, you're still doing the same exercise. Mm. And it's still teaching you something about your work and mm. yourself and your training. All of these skills that are in the, the book, Nonviolent Communication, are master practices. We can all come back to again and again. Beautiful. Thank you. Key investment in the last year, what's the best thing that you spent money on? And say, you know, under $10,000. Best thing I spent money on. Uh, I didn't do it in the last year, but I will say that the best investment I've made in a really long time is to get a black foam roller. $40 investment for a foam roller that has literally changed my life. I roll out on this foam roller and um, hit my AT band. I'm hitting my lower back and my glutes, Ooh. and it helps me to to recover faster from my workouts. It helps my body to stay more relaxed and less prone to energy uh, injury. And my my lower back and knee issues are less active when I'm doing this regularly. It's just forty dollars will change your life. I'm so bad. I'm, I'm ordering yeah. one as soon as we get off. Don't don't get the white one. Don't get the blue one. Get the black one. Okay. Those others are softer. Okay. But you're just going to be yearning for the black one very quickly. Okay. So just don't even bother. Great. Key practice. Please offer one consistent practice, spiritual, creative, personal, or relational that has served you well, Joshua, and that you challenge the men listening to take on for the next seven days. Mm. One of the most powerful practices, you know, I talked about empathy. Um, I had a strong meditation practice, Zazen sitting practice for a long time. But I think a really powerful practice is actually doing affirmations, is affirming something to yourself that, that, is, that, that you might, and especially things you don't actually believe are true. Like, I am beautiful. I am good. I am intelligent. I am worthy of love, right? When we were affirm these things to ourselves, we're acting against all the scripts that have been very well conditioned into our minds. Our minds are going to, on their own, tell us all kinds of negative things about us. So it's, it behooves us to take time every single day to talk to ourselves lovingly. Mm. And what I do is I actually just record those things into a little track on my phone and I listen to it every morning. It's actually my alarm. 
is my affirmations. I wake up every day to my own affirmations with a little binaural background beat, you know, super simple and easy to do. But I challenge you, brother, to come up with five things that you want to affirm about yourself. I want you to record it into your phone and I want you to listen to it at least once for the next five days. It'll take you two minutes. I love it. I love it. Beautiful. Thank you. Joshua, where uh, can listeners learn more about you and your work? Mm. You can go to www.masteryourbullshit.com. That is where you're going to find a lot of my communication work. You can get some free videos that unpack some of these communication hacks that I've been talking about here, ways of sort of carving through our habits and developing new practices. You can also get a you know webinar that I have um, uploaded on the site and you can check in, you know, see about my coaching and some of the group trainings that I do, both live and online. And uh, for those of you who are also men who are interested in, well, I'll just say too, that if you want to bring me into your organization and leverage my trainings for you and your team, if you've got some trust issues on your team, if you're not being as productive, feeling as connected as you want to, I promise you're going to have more fun than you should be allowed to have at work yeah. getting down into the deep work with me. And then on the other side, we've got the Brotherhood Community, which um, we've got um, two monthly free engagements, a community call and a coaching call. If you check us out at www.brotherhoodcommunity.com, you can check into those. And we've got weekend intensives, men's leadership intensives. We've got one coming up in LA, February 1st to the 4th, that any man who's ready to get cracked open and find new layers of himself, new resources, I'd love to have a conversation with you about that. If you have an opportunity to attend a workshop or to bring Joshua in your organization, I can vouch one of the funnest, that's the word I would use, one of the funnest times I've had in a workshop, particularly where it was just other men, was under Joshua's leadership. I had such mm-hmm. a good time, man. We, The playfulness that you brought, as I said earlier, it, it was fantastic. So absolutely go to one of Joshua's workshops, work with him, find him on his website. And Joshua, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and and your vulnerability as well. Thank you, man. Ah, what a pleasure, brother. It's so good to connect with you. I really appreciate the way we resonate and the level of conversation we can have. And I'm, I'm stoked for your community to get the benefit of your wisdom and your curiosity as you bring men into your office here and uh, have these great conversations, brother. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Men This Way. And thank you again to Joshua Hathaway for saying yes to this interview. Find Joshua at masteryourbullshit.com as well as brotherhoodcommunity.com. Of course, any links, resources, books, and Joshua's five key takeaways will be in the show notes at brianreeves.com, that's Brian with a Y, Reeves, R-E-E-V-E-S.com, forward slash Men This Way podcast. If you can think of anyone who might be served by what you just heard, please share this episode with them now. And to encourage more men to get the wisdom in these conversations, please right now go to whatever app you're using to hear my voice and rate this podcast strong with juicy, inspired, uplifting language so you too can encourage more men this way. And don't forget to subscribe yourself while you're at it. Finally, if you're a man eager to dive in and do your inner game work, the inner game work that is essential for living a truly masterful life, go to 
brianreeves.com forward slash thriving man to learn more about how I can serve you on your journey. I'm your thriving life and relationship coach, Brian Reeves, Brian with a Y Reeves. Until soon, keep your head up, your breath relaxed, and your thoughts inspired.